Good morning. Welcome back to your seats. Come on in. My name's Kelsey. I'm one of the pastors here at Christway. We're so happy that you're with us today. Um, usually, uh, I'm not the regular guy. Um, Pastor Andy usually is my uh, backup plan, and he tells me, even if five minutes, ten minutes before the service, you freak out and you can't do it, he's like, I'm ready. I've got you. I, I'm, I'll be your plan B. But today, he is dropping off Miss Emma at um, her first year of college in Birmingham, several hours away. So prayers for him, but also uh, you're stuck with me. <laughs> there was no backup plan. <laughs> he said, well, Chip will be there. Chip's upstairs. Uh, anyway, okay, if you've never been here before, if today's your first day, um, we are walking through the New Testament in a year, so five, reading five chapters of the New Testament every single week through the whole year. I can't believe that works out to perfect 52 weeks or whatever it is, but awesome. So we started January 1st in Matthew, and um, the Sunday sermon is always on the upcoming week, so this coming week will be on um, 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapters 7 through 11. Okay, so I'm going to start out with what I know is a silly question. Has anybody ever wanted to win something? Has anybody ever wanted to win? If you don't raise your hand, you lying. <laughs> How about this? Has anybody tried to buy a house in the last two years? Uh, rough market out there. I'm becoming more and more familiar with this uh, realm thanks to my husband, the realtor. Um, of all the things that people will do in order to make their offer the winner in this competitive market. The most obvious tactic is money, right? More money. Who can pay the most? Um, is anybody paying cash? That's a big deal. And kind of crazy. I can't believe that. Uh, and there's something I've learned about called an escalation clause. Escalation clause. You can submit your offer, but also tell the seller, but I'm willing to pay up to such and such amount in order to beat out any of your other offers. You're showing them your top dollar. But as a realtor, Jeremy's um, had to get a little more creative to help his clients win the house when he knows there's going to be a lot of offers. So um, maybe you offer to waive the inspection. You say, I will take the house as is if you will just take my offer. I don't care what's wrong with it. Risky. Maybe, uh, maybe you say, I'm going to make my offer. Maybe I'm, I'm rambling, aren't I? Maybe you say, I'm going to make my offer non-contingent. So you still own a house, and you say, regardless of whether my house sells or not, I am all in. I want your house. It's risky, but it's a more attractive offer. And Jeremy knows all these little intricate, a uh, little bit better ways, ways to make your offer a little bit better than the next guy's. And that's his job, right? Um, to help you win by outwitting the other guys. I am not trying to say that my husband is uh, cunning or deceitful or anything, so I probably should say something nice. He is a man of integrity, of the highest quality of character. Yeah. Uh, but this is just one example of the world we live in. It's competitive out there. Um, it's a dog-eat-dog -dog world, so to speak. 
everybody wants to come out a winner and will do whatever it takes to make that happen. If I say the words, the American dream, what does your mind do? Maybe it's a really outdated image, but the American dream. I'm going to guess a lot of you are thinking of the words or maybe even picturing a white picket fence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's kids playing in the yard. There's a cute dog. The sun's shining. There's a man mowing the grass and a woman baking apple pie and serving everybody lemonade. I don't know, I don't know where this imagery comes from for me because I know this is like a, maybe a really 1950s, 60s image that's in my head uh, kind of dream. Um, so maybe in 2022, maybe the American dream is being independently wealthy, um, the wife and kids, a big suburban, a big craftsman home. That's what I want. I can work from home. My health and my fitness is on point. Whatever the dream is for you, we all think about a place of comfort and security of contentment and fulfillment and success, right? But as I read the five chapters for this upcoming week, I was reminded that the American dream is not the message of the gospel. The gospel, or the good news, what that means, is actually not that Jesus came so you can achieve that perfect little dream in your mind. Uh, Jeremy read for us this morning uh, out of John 10.10. 10. Jesus himself says, I have come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. In his, his version, it said, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. This is a promise from Jesus, and it's one that I cling to, and maybe you do too. And how many of us know this promise too? Psalms 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. This is scripture. These are God's words. These are promises to us. He'll give us a life better than we dreamed and give us the desires of our hearts. And if you've heard these promises before and you believe God's word is true and you're trying to walk with Jesus, I'm going to guess that you, like me, at some point have asked God, so where's mine? When is it my turn? When do we get to the part where life is better than I dreamed in my mind? How much longer till you come through for me in the desires of my heart? I think what's happening in these moments of questioning and even frustration is something we don't talk about or think about much in 2022, and that's spiritual warfare. Don't let me lose you. I know this sounds like a really churchy thing to say, but spiritual warfare, we're not thinking about it very often. We're probably not even really thinking about warfare these days. We haven't seen a war in this country on American soil for a long time, and it's kind of scary to even think about, hard to imagine. It feels like war is something that happens elsewhere. And how blessed are we to live in a place where most of us don't really know what war is like. But let's look at the scripture because I want you to be aware that if you're a part of the body of Christ, and even when you weren't a part of the body of Christ, you have an enemy of your soul. So, 
super light, right? Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Nope, chapter 10. <laughs> right in the middle of your readings for the week. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and I'm going to start in verse 1. No, actually, I'm going to start at like the end of verse 2. You can skip that one. <laughs> okay, so this is Paul speaking um, in this letter to the Corinthians. I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I know this is the New King James Version, but hang in there. We'll, we'll get through this. <laughs> So what you'll see, if you're going to read this week, I encourage you to jump in, even if you, this is your first day here. If you have missed the last four weeks of reading, just start now. Uh, what you'll see when you're reading this week, this is the middle of this letter. A guy named Paul wrote to this church in the city of Corinth, um, which he and his colleagues started. They started this church. And you'll notice this is 2 Corinthians, right? Meaning it wasn't the first letter um, that Paul wrote to this church. If you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen on the Christway Connect podcast to Andy's message. He did a really good job um, giving us some background um, on the city of Corinth. It was apparently a big kind of metropolitan city, like a New York or an L.A., and there was lots of corruption and Paul planted a church there, but then he moved on and he continued preaching and starting churches all over the place. But he heard that there was corruption and some crazy things happening with the people in the church, um, which he addresses in 1 Corinthians. So then this letter, 2 Corinthians, he mentions many times how proud he is of the people for changing their ways and for treating his colleague Titus so well when he visited. And Titus was apparently very impressed with their connection to the Spirit and the ways that they comforted him and the ways that their hearts had changed. And then um, the chapters you'll read this week, Paul talks about what giving and living open-handed in the church should look like, which could have been a whole message on its own. And then he starts to transition right here into the last half of his letter where he's defending himself and his authority to teach about Jesus. There are some teachers in the church that are questioning why they should listen to Paul um, and saying that he's so bold in his letters to us, but he's really not a very eloquent speaker, and he's not anything special when he's in person. So in chapter 10, where we just started, we're catching him right in the middle of this transition in his letter. So, um, I want to go back. Let's just kind of break this down line by line. So, in verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. So, these teachers are saying that Paul and the other ministers are 
basically self-seeking, like walking in the flesh, and do they really even know Jesus? So he's starting to defend himself. Though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. So what does that mean? So we have these human bodies and our human nature. We walk in the world, but we don't behave like the world. This rat race to success and achievement and worldly gain is not the war that we should be focused on. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, and carnal, in other words, um, our weapons are not of the flesh or of the world or maybe even tangible at all. He doesn't say, though, if you notice, that we don't have weapons. He says our weapons are mighty in God. We're equipped with God. Those are our weapons. We're equipped with his spirit. And in God, we pull down strongholds, we cast down arguments, and anything against the knowledge of God. And then my favorite part here says, we can bring every thought into captivity. I mean, think about war, right? Sometimes captives are taken. Paul is saying, in the power we have through the Spirit, we can take captive or take control of our thoughts. And then what? Into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You may or may not remember this verse if you've been through a freedom group with us before. So, tiny spoiler, if you're going to go through a freedom group um, this year, but... The book pulls out this verse and says, um, Every thought should be examined for godly accuracy. If it does not line up with what the Bible says, we must take it captive and make it obedient to the word of God. If every thought does not line up with what the Bible says, take it captive and make it obedient to the word of God. What does that actually mean, though? Making my thoughts obedient to the word. Said another way, are the things that I'm thinking about actually true? Before we totally hash this out together, I'd love to read this to you in the message as well. Um, it's so helpful to me um, to read or listen to whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> multiple translations of the same scripture. Um, I love the tradition of my New King James text. I feel like this was maybe the way the word was meant to be spoken. Maybe that's just because I grew up hearing this. Um, it is the new King James, though, so they switched out all the thous and thines for you and yours, so it's a little bit more readable. But I do, I love to read it um, side by side with um, newer translations. Um, the message and the truth in the passage doesn't change, but more modern references are made and phrases are used to say the same thing. Um, ESV is a good one. The message is very cool these days. Um, and I've recently started taking a look at the Passion Translation, which Peggy leads out of during um, the monthly Bible study at her house. If you have a smartphone or access to the internet, just look up the Bible app by Version, and there are more translations than I even know existed. Okay, so let's look at the same word, said a different way, 
I'm going to be in the message. So 2 Corinthians 10. And I will start at verse 1 because it's more easy to understand. And now you know the context. (laughs) Okay. And now a personal but most urgent matter. I write... I write in the gentle but firm spirit of Christ. I hear that I'm being painted as cringing and wishy-washy when I'm with you, but harsh and demanding when at a safe distance writing letters. Please don't force me to take a hard line when I'm present with you. Don't think that I'll hesitate a single minute to stand up to those who say I'm an unprincipled opportunist. Then they'll have to eat their words. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought an emotion, an impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. So we get the same message, but with some different imagery. Instead of warfare, you can kind of picture this old beat-up house, maybe, um, that's being torn down and a new structure is being built up. So if we take this translation line by line, instead of the flesh, they just come out and say, the world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog, like the housing market, right? The way of the world is me first, self-centered, self-seeking, motivated by power, gain, winning, competition, all these things, right? And then it says, the tools of our trade are not for marketing, there's a modern word for us, or manipulation. Marketing is trying to get people to buy what you're selling, right? If you never make it to the north end of town today, go up 3rd Street, past ISU, and you will see Jeremy's giant head on a billboard. (laughs) He wants you to buy a house with him. That's marketing, right? These ads, they're saying, you can trust me, and I've got what you need. That's what marketing is. And sometimes there is manipulation involved, right? The Facebook ads that pop up just because you've been Google searching similar things or maybe just talking about similar things sometimes. Really creepy. It's in our human nature to be selfish, to seek success and achievement, And it's also in our nature, like we talked about, to do anything to get there. Lie, steal, cheat, take what we think we deserve, make excuses to defend our words and actions, manipulate, and even harm others in our way sometimes. But Paul is saying here that these are not the weapons of our warfare. These are not the kinds of tools God gives us. Our weapons... Our tools are for demolishing the entire massively corrupt culture. So all that culture that we, we know and are familiar with, our tools are here to tear it all down. The Passion Translation says, we have spiritual tools with divine power. 
divine power. That seems to be something I notice Andy talking a lot about lately. As a believer, when you invite the Holy Spirit into your life, you literally have all the power of the Spirit within you. You carry the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ wherever you go. So when this says we smash warped philosophies, we know the world is interested in gain and self-promoting, but the spirit inside of you, the spirit seeks to serve or is self-forgetful, as one translation says. It's generous, open-handed, compassionate, honest, and vulnerable. None of that comes naturally to us, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. The next line says, we can tear down barriers against the truth of God. What barriers has Satan built in your way of the truth? Money problems? You think, if I had more money or got that raise, I'd be content? Maybe it's singleness, loneliness. If I had a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, if someone would love me, I'd be fulfilled. Is it family issues? If my child would behave, if we were normal, if my spouse only understood me, if my parents would listen to me, life would be good. Is it circumstances out of your control? If that friend or family member was still alive, if I hadn't lost my job, if that terrible accident or illness had never happened, I'd be so much better off. Is it addictions? If I could do it just one more time, then I'll be satisfied. How about mine? If I could just have a baby, then I'd feel whole. If, if, if. These are all lies. So what's the wall for you? What barrier does Satan keep placing between you and the truth? Tear it down. Don't let him build it again. But how do we do that? Look at the next line. Fitting loose thoughts, emotions, impulses into life shaped by Christ. And like the first version said, taking these thoughts captive. Ask yourself, is this Jesus? Is this thought that stresses me out even true? And what is the truth? The truth is, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. God's strength is made perfect in your weakness. You are a child of the Most High God, and if a child, then an heir, a son or daughter of Christ the King. He will supply your every need. He is faithful and just. He is for you. He satisfies my soul. He came to give us abundant life. He loved us while we were yet sinners, and he has overcome the world. And I bet you've got more. Think on his promises. What is true? This isn't a cute list that I just made up. These are real promises in this book. If we're going to take our thoughts captive and examine whether we're believing lies or truth, we have to know the truth, right? I couldn't tell you the location in this book of any of these promises that I just listed, to be completely honest with you. I could probably guess the book. But I know that they are his words, words that I've hidden in my heart. I hear them reiterated in my worship music. 
I hear Pastor Andy speak them. I read them. I hear them repeated by good podcasts and radio hosts. And I know that God's spirit lives in me, and I'm getting to know his character more and more as I grow. But I'll tell you, it's not effortless. Paul even admits that it's not easy. He wrote in the book of Romans, kind of a stressed out time it sounds like. I'm going to go there quickly. Uh, Romans chapter 7, and I'm going to start in verse 17, and again, I'm going to be reading out of the message. This is Paul again, same guy. I need something more. For if I know the law but still can't keep it, and if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. Paul is describing this inner war between his flesh and his spirit, his nature and the new creation that he ought to be in Christ. It's lengthy if you uh, read this whole passage, but if you can keep up, if you kept up there, I think we can all identify with Paul. We've all been there. We all want to be better people, but we just aren't. Fortunately, he does give us hope in these last verses, so I'll keep going, 24 and 25. I've tried everything, nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? The answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. So Jesus makes it possible. He's the only human to ever live out the law perfectly. So when he died, he was sacrificing himself to pay the penalty for all of our sins once and for all. And he rose again and lives forever and sent his spirit so we can be in relationship with him, our Savior. We do have to go back and finish out Paul's last thought in this um, Chapter 10, verse 6, and back to the message. So, he says, our tools are ready at hand. Our tools, which are given to us by the Spirit, are ready to clear the ground of every obstruction. And I'm picturing clearing some land with a backhoe or some big machinery um, to tear down an old crumbling structure But it's one that's familiar because it's the one I've built out of my human nature, out of the behaviors and the lies that I believe because that's what the world looks like. But we're clearing this ground to build lives of obedience into maturity. Obedience, what does that really mean? Obedience to what is true. 
Hide God's word in your heart. Be filled with his spirit, and he will mature you. He will grow you. I want you to be aware that the devil is real, and he's deceitful and cunning, and you have to be aware that there is a spiritual war going on. The things that worry you and dominate your thoughts, every impulse and fleeting emotion, take them captive and check yourself. Is this a lie Satan is using to separate me from Jesus? And what is the truth? Arnick, you can go ahead and join me on stage wherever you went. See here? <laughs> I encourage you, speak God's promises out loud to yourself. And if you're not sure what his promises are, or if you are believing lies and not truths, You've come to the right place. Unfortunately, I haven't been here for a few weeks. Um, the last Sunday that I was here was Family Sunday, if anybody remembers. Um, and Jeremy and I prayed over here, over whoever came up. And we prayed that day over multiple people that um, we'd never met before. Um, and some who just said, pray for my family, or... I just need prayer, and we know next to nothing about these guys, but when they walked away, you might have noticed me in full tears. I don't actually know if they were moved the way that I was, but speaking truth and repeating God's promises is how we do spiritual warfare, and we take the power of the Holy Spirit with us. And he is greater than we can comprehend. Um, I'd love to sing. Well, no, you're going to sing it. Uh, and I'd love for our prayer team, actually, to take their spots again, if you would. And I'd love to do battle with you guys. Let's speak life and truth over each other. Maybe that means you move around the room because you are feeling that tug of the spirit to speak truth over somebody else. Maybe you know that you've been believing a lie that the devil keeps putting in your way. Come and be bold and we will make these things obedient to the truth, okay? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's still meaningful and it's still true thousands of years later. God, thank you for your son, Jesus, and thank you that he died and, and lived a perfect life and was resurrected and sent his spirit, Lord, to live among us so that we can be in your presence, so that you can live inside of us, so that we can know you, so that we can take your power with us wherever we go. God, I pray that we would all be aware as we walk through our weeks that there is a spiritual warfare, that there is an enemy of our soul. And Lord, that he's subtle and that he can manipulate our thoughts, God. And I just pray that all of us would be able to take our thoughts captive, God. Every thought, emotion, impulse, Lord, would we examine it and, and make it um, 
obedient to your word, Lord, that we would examine it and ask ourselves, is this even true? What is true, God? Show us your truth. And maybe some of us have never opened a Bible before, Lord, but would you speak over these people today, God? We thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you that we hear your voice through worship music, that we hear your promises just by talking to other believers, Lord. I thank you for this body. I pray you'd bless us and protect us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my
funny that Kelsey would preach where she preached. I received a text this week from Dan. And we were talking back and forth about this song that I want to sing over your spirit before we go. And it matches the sentiments of what Kelsey has preached. This is a warfare that we're in. And it's not a carnal warfare. We have to have mighty weapons for it. So in this moment, in this last moment of contemplation, let this wash over you. As we sing this out, we pray that God brings his spirit over your life and his protection over you. Joyful, joyful we Kelsey, thank you for that word. And uh, she, she quoted the scripture um, in John where Jesus said, I come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And I, I believe that all of us want that, that type of life, that abundant life. And so there is battle that is going on. There is spiritual warfare that is going on and it is a battle for your mind. For your mind. 
for your thoughts, for your ideals, for your goals, for your dreams. And so that's why Paul tells us, he says that you be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that renewing has to take place daily. And the only way that renewing takes place is something has to be replaced with whatever the carnal mind is thinking. And it has to be the word of God. And it's, it's certainly reading and putting the word in you, which is, first of all, the foundation. Kelsey also mentioned about uh, the word being in her. As David said that, he said, I've hid thy word in my heart that I might not sin against thee. And so that word in you has to be the foundation, but it can't stop there. That word has to be lived out and has to be put to the test. God doesn't have a problem with you putting his word to the test. See, I never would know that God was a healer if I didn't put his word to the test. He says, I am the God that healeth thee. I never know that he was a deliverer if I didn't wait on him and found him to be true to his word. I didn't know. I wouldn't know if he was a forgiver if I had not experienced the mercy and the grace of God. And so that word, that foundation that is in me has to be put to the test. And so that in the process of that, I truly come to know God for who he is. Job said it this way, I've heard of thee. He said, I've heard of God by the hearing of the ear. You know, he says, but now through experience and putting the word of God to the test, now my eye, my spiritual eye, not my physical eye, but my spiritual eye, he says, now my eye seeth thee. And so many of us struggle. I know I have because what we pray to God for, what we ask God for, sometimes are our own ideas, our own wishes, our own dreams. And that's okay. Sometimes in the in, in God's grace and uh, his mercy, he can give us things that are not necessarily directly in alignment with his word, but because we've asked him and we are his children, he'll do that. But God will always respond to his promises. He will always respond to what he had declared in his word. And that's what I found to be so awesome about God. God will, first of all, he establishes faith we think and sometimes believe that we come up or we conjure up faith, but God establishes faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He, he declares the word and then he challenges you to trust in his word. That's the awesomeness of God. And so it's about the battle for the mind, the control of the mind. But in Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, Paul says this. He says, for all, he said, Paul says, I didn't, I didn't declare the word to you. I didn't bring the message of this word to you as yes and no, or yea and nay. That's not the kind of message I brought to you. He said, and the message that I brought to you in him, in Christ, was always yes. And even though God gave us many promises, 
many promises. As Kelsey was saying, you know, there's so many promises of God in, in, in the Word. And uh, sometimes I'll, I'll go and read those, those lists of promises. It's unbelievable how many promises that God has actually given us. You can go to any uh, a Bible or, and, and you can find, just look at the promises and you'll be amazed. Some of them you didn't even realize. You didn't even realize that God had promised. But he says, even though he's given us many promises, all of the promises in Christ are yes and amen. We, we say in, in, in our culture, where I came from, we used to say amen, meaning it is so. It is so. So what God has declared will come to pass. That's what he says about his word. And so that spiritual warfare that is going on is for control of your mind. But how do I fight that battle? How do I overcome that? It's by trusting in the word of God and filling my mind, substituting whatever is there with the word of God. And God will bring to pass exactly what he said he would do. And so I pray that you would go with that today because we all want to have that abundant life. We all want that life that God is what? He's promised. Sometimes we think that it's evading us. No. We just have allow God to transform our mind so we can receive that abundant life. So let us pray now as we get ready to leave. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and we thank you for your great promises that are yes and amen that you declared and we believe, I believe, you bring to pass. Show us always in your word, no matter where we are in our thinking and our desires, but show us what is true and what is a lie. The enemy would like to discourage us and get us off track and frustrate us by showing us those things or bringing to us those things to our mind, Lord, that we know do not line up with your word that we know are not in agreement with what you want for our lives. And so we, we pray always that you show us what is true and what is a lie. Lead us from this place now with those promises in our heart, with those promises in our mind, in our spirit, that, Lord, we can, we can walk out and we can live out that abundant life, oh God, that you have promised us. And we can claim victory today and in the days to come. We give you praise and we give you all the glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.